What's up, guys? Welcome to the Copy Blogger Podcast. My name is Tim Stoddart. Thank you so much for joining us. As always, we have my friend and my co-host, Ethan Brooks. Hi, Ethan. How are you? Doing good, man. How you doing? I'm excellent. I'm excited about today's episode. We have some really cool topics lined up for the next couple of weeks, and I've been feeling great about the previous topics as well. It seems like uh, every week after we, we hit publish, me and you are getting DMs sometimes in the same chat, sometimes separately with people saying that they really love the recent episode. So if you have been giving us good vibes, we hear you, we see you. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. And uh, one quick announcement before we jump right into the show. Uh, we have a website now. So when you hear us talk about the show notes, you can find all of those show notes. You can find links to everything that we might mention or reference in the episodes. It's very simple. Copybloggerpod.com. And if you would like, sign up for the email list. We'll send you some goodies. And uh, we got some cool stuff lined up there as well. But that's it. Let's, uh, let's jump right into it. Ethan, you said you, had, uh, said you had a way to tee this one off. Yeah, well, okay, so we are for the second week now covering something that you have created recently. This is the uh this is the article on stasi.com this week and it's all about how you've automated all the processes inside your agency. And you sent this to me this morning. I thought it was awesome. I'd love to go through it and just kind of pepper you with some questions at each step. And in order to start that, let me just tee this up at a high level to make sure that I understand like all the crucial pieces of this equation. And then I, and we can dig into each segment like as we go. Cool. So at a super high level, I guess there's like two things that I wanted to call out. The first is a single quote from the intro. And then the second is the high level structure for how you made this piece. This, is, this sentence really jumped out at me. So I'm curious as to what it is. It's right up here at the top, man. Your success in business is determined by the boring, tedious, detail-oriented processes that make your business run efficiently. We'll come back to that in a second, but such a great line. In fact, I wanted to say like overall, and people should go check out this article, obviously. We're going to talk about it here. We'll link to it in the show notes. But I just wanted to say before we get into it, this was like a very well-written piece. I mean, you you cover a lot of ground in this in a way that's really clear. And I, I know just from experience how hard that is. So uh, good job on this. Let me make sure I fully like understand the scope of it. I would say there's basically three, maybe four segments, I think three segments to this piece. And they're, they're sort of like the three different systems that are crucial for the success of your business. The first is the sales and marketing funnel. So you basically created this sales and marketing funnel that is running on autopilot, and we'll dig into the individual pieces of that. But it basically has allowed you to continue bringing in more and more of the right types of qualified clients. And I think that was a really interesting section. Then there's this intermediary step, uh, onboarding and account services. So once you're bringing in these leads and basically closing that business, there is a set of automations in place that takes new business and transfer them to their account, uh, their account owner, their account manager. And we can dig into that. And then the third piece of the equation is this relationship between strategy and project management parts of your team. And this was interesting because as you mentioned in the article, these are two teams that 
basically have a different set of responsibilities and very different communication protocols. Mm. Their strategy doesn't want to be communicating a lot because they just kind of need to be in the weeds of figuring out what the strategy is. But project management needs to be communicating quite often. Those two teams rely on each other. And so you had to create a series of systems that allowed them to interact without sort of undermining what each has to do. So I think that's the high level, right? That's pulling the business in, getting them online, getting them set up with their account manager, and then making sure that the strategy can be carried out, planned and carried out at speed without any major roadblocks. Were there any pieces of this that you don't feel like I mentioned there? Because I think those are the sections I want to focus on and I want to do them in a certain order. No. And Ethan, let me tell you the fact that you were able to conceptualize what I was trying to say is like, thank you for recognizing that. I can't remember the last time I had an article stress me out this much. It's so (laughs) dry and like instruction oriented that, um, uh, boy, I I struggled with this one a lot. Really? Really? I did. I I really, really did. And so to hear that you totally got it in the way, even publishing this, this morning when I sent it to you, I was like, oh, I'm still editing this. And I was just really trying to figure out the, the perfect order of sentences to, cause there's a lot of it's visual. Like there's yeah. a lot of times I was like, if I could just show you guys the documents that I'm talking about, it would make perfect sense. But mm-hmm. I can't one because that would be inefficient, but two, because a lot of that has like pertinent information on it that I can't share, mm-hmm. you know? And so I was like, mm-hmm. how do I explain what the hell I'm talking about without actually just saying, this is what the worksheet looks like. This is what the spreadsheet looks like. This is what the such and such looks like. So, so thank you. And I, I really mean that. This one stressed me out for real. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know how hard it is to write clearly. So I'm not going to say that I am surprised this stressed you out, but it's a very clear piece. So I'm, I, I know how much work went into it. Um, and it's super tactical too. So I want to let's get into some of this. Let's get into some of the nitty gritty here. Yeah. Um, do you mind shooting screen control back over to me so that oh. I can share my screen? We'll just go through this from top to bottom. By the way, I wanted to say like the reason I think we should go through this. There's a couple reasons. One, it's good. We have a lot of agency owners that listen to this. I think. Yeah. Um, me too. So this is yeah. This is going to offer a really great set of frameworks people can use to maybe extricate yourself from the day to day as an agency owner. Mm scale some of your operations start making more money if that's uh, like a current goal also similar to the conversation last week i think a lot of this would actually transfer to other certain types of businesses um yeah like the one that comes to mind for me and this is probably because that's where i spend a lot of my time would be like newsletters specifically ad sales or if you're doing like extremely high ticket courses i think there'd be some crossover too but the process of doing agency work is very, very similar, at least in terms of the customer interaction as the process of doing the ad work. Like this isn't really just limited to agency owners. I think there's a lot of different businesses that can learn from something like this. So let's let's dive in. I'm going to start at the top up here. And I want to I want to start by going through your automated process for generating leads. And let me just see real quick how far this goes. Okay, let's call this a five-step process that starts. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people will be very familiar with this, but I want to dive into each of these sections and ask one or two different questions. So the five steps are this. Get traffic, drive them to an email sign up, 
use your email drips to create trust by, well, through the content that you send them, sort of drive those email readers to a live call, and then use that call to close the sale. That's mm -hmm. high level. And then in this piece, you broke down specifically how you do each day. So let me, let me start with, let's start with number two. So step one, as I said, was drive traffic. You guys do that through content marketing. That's what exactly. Copy Blogger is all about. So if everybody yeah, has questions for that, yeah, literally just go read anything uh -huh. on Copy Blogger. But this was interesting. So you said we generate, in the email step, you say we generate most of our email leads or email, like emails, email address captures by giving away long form PDFs and guides that users can read on their own time. So talk to me a little bit about this, because what I'd love to do is dig in and, and kind of understand two things. How do you decide which guides you want to launch as a company? Like, how do you, how do you kind of, is that process similar to the blogs that you write or how do you decide on topics for that? And what are some of the topics that have worked really well for you guys so far? Like, what is, what is the most effective PDF that you see the most downloads on? Well, we decide which guides to write. Because we only put guides together for cornerstone pages. We've talked about cornerstone pages on this podcast a couple of times, but any service business specifically, something, something that has really direct intent behind what it is that you're selling. And, and this is, this will work for any media company. It's not necessarily has to be an agency. There's a ton of crossover with newsletters because there's still an interaction between like you and a client. You mm -hmm. know, it's just like who the client is changes. And so your mental framework changes a little bit, but the, the system stays exactly the same. Same so thing for your website. Oh, same thing for like boring service businesses. If you're doing like, totally. like house cleaning or um, oh, yeah. car detailing, like any service really. Yeah, absolutely. So a cornerstone pages is, is any website will have about 10 to 20 pages that the rest of the web website kind of links around. So in the case of Stodzy, Stodzy.com, well, StodzyInternetMarketing.com is my agency. This blog, my personal blog is on TimStodz.com. I know I like use my childhood nickname too much <laughs> in, my, <laughs> in my shit, but I hope you can get it. And so there's only six cornerstone pages that we have on, on Stodzy. And it's the industries we serve. So this part is important. And we talked about it before, but this is always why my conversion rate and my time spent selling is so low in relation to the amount of money that we generate because of how targeted it is. So everyone knows what Stasi does. It won't probably not everybody, but I think a lot of people listening, we market specifically to behavioral healthcare centers. So that's drug rehab facilities, drug detox facilities, mental health facilities, eating disorder facilities. And there's a there's two different variations of um, what we call harm reduction, which is like not necessarily treatment. It's just kind of like a long term medication that keeps um, somebody that needs help from like doing anything stupid, basically. And so it's it's those six keywords, and that's it. And people really really overcomplicate this. I got this trick from Noah Kagan, and he used to do this on Sumo.com, where he would write these super super long form guides. And this is when it clicked for me where it's all the PDF is, is convenience. And he would say it on the top of the blog on sumo.com. It would just say, don't have time to read this. We'll click here to download the guide. I was like, mm. I don't have to write a full guide. I already wrote the cornerstone page. So let me just take this page word for word and turn it into a PDF. Like I don't have to do it over and over again. But somebody who is serious 
about needing these services is going to be the kind of person that says, you know what, while I'm tomorrow morning, while I'm drinking my coffee, I'm going to print this thing out and sit down and, and really, really read it. Right. And so like at, at the end of this, these, these steps, we'll, we'll go through them all, but it says that the, re, the, the prospect has qualified themselves like many, mm-hmm. many times. And so this is just step one of the qualification process. You know, like if you're willing to download a 22 page PDF and read it as like an instruction manual as a way to grow, you know, whatever business that you're working on, that's a qualification mechanism. And, and so it's, it's very simple, but that's how we do it. That's fascinating. I didn't realize that, that you basically took the text from the cornerstone page and that is the guide. So I like that. That's got to be really strong for different SEO reasons. So for somebody who's thinking about doing this for their own site, let's say that they are aware of what one or two of their cornerstone pages would be. Mm-hmm. Can you just give me the high level like structure for those pages? Like what's going into these guides? Is it, you said it's 22 pages. So what are the kind of the, the major milestones inside that piece? Well, it's 22 pages when you put it together on a PDF, which includes like graphics. Like we spice them up. You know, mm-hmm. I, I got a designer on Fiverr, charged me 150 bucks and I say, Hey, here's, here's 3000 words. Turn this into like a really cool PDF. I think the one in particular is 4000 words, which is closer to 22 pages, but they, they typically won't have to be that long. What goes into it is education. And like, this is another qualifier. Because what you're doing, this is what I've done. And you can see this even in the the articles that I write on my personal blog. I'm telling people exactly what to do. Mm-hmm. And then you're just banking on the fact that people are busy and they got shit to do in their own lives. And they're like, why am I going to bother doing all this when this person already knows how to do it? <laughs> right? So you're just, you're qualifying yourself by saying like, hey, if you want to do it on your own, go ahead. Like this is the copy blogger way. Education sells. Te- teaching sells. If you want to do it on your own, go ahead. Here's how to do it. I'll build my credibility through this content. But if you want to hire an expert, then we've already shown through these long form pieces that we've written that like we're the best in the business. So just don't bother and hire us. That's awesome. Okay. So give that's away. That's what the Cornerstone page does, by the way. That's like, that's why it's so long form. It's like, this is everything you need to know to facilitate such and such service. Hmm. That's the keyword. And when okay, and so when you're linking to a cornerstone page from other sections of the site, yeah. the idea is you have this one like long piece all about, say, I don't know, SEO for healthcare companies. That's like exactly. a cornerstone page, yeah. or, or SEO for uh, harm reduction. That one of the types of harm reduction companies, and uh, other articles link off to that. They link back to it exactly. Okay, okay, interesting. We start by creating long-form content. That draws people to the website. Then you are basically offering this long-form content in downloadable form and and like linking other pieces of content to this cornerstone page. Next step, or steps three, four, and five were, were, were interesting and quick. But the one that I really wanted to call out was three. So once those people join your email list, you say, we generate all our leads and phone calls through email marketing. Again, yeah. because of what you said, you said it helps qualify readers as serious potential clients. And what I thought was really interesting about the way you set this out was you said, so step three is basically, what does the email drip look like? And your framework is trust and proof. And you said specifically that, well, trust is basically like 
here is showing you, we know what we're doing. So here's like how to basically do this. And then proof is here's what we've done. So testimonials, client, yeah. case study, stuff like that. And what I thought was really cool is that you cycle between these two on and off throughout the course of the email trip. And you have a screenshot here that goes like literally trust proof, trust proof, trust proof. <laughs> yeah. How did you guys develop that? Where did that come from? And how do you think about this when you're like writing new email trips? I don't know. One of the ways that I, I remember thinking about trust for the first time was listening to a podcast. This was years ago when I lived in Boca with the six principles of persuasion. And one of them is, uh, is social proof. And, uh, I remember seeing in websites so much there where everybody put their Facebook likes on their website. I remember you used to have like little buttons that showed like this page has like 80,000 Facebook oh, likes or yeah. something. Yeah. Man. Back in. It turned out to be. That was so it. long. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that was so long ago, right? But I, I just, I remember toying with that in my mind and it came to me that trust is just your reputation. Mm-hmm. That's all it is. Trust is your reputation. Like what would people say about you if you weren't there? Mm. And that's like your reputation. And then proof is, so I, I discovered proof because it got so easy to close deals when people were calling me through the website and I'm doing exactly the thing that people are going to hire me to do. And so I had this line, SEOs have a bad rep. Let's like just be honest about that, right? And so there's a plenty of SEOs that have just like made false promises and overhyped themselves and didn't really do anything. And so I would get this rebuttal a lot. Well, how do I know that this is going to work? And so I'd say, <laughs> well, how did you find me? And like, that's oh, all I thought I you were going to, yeah, I thought you were going to say the, uh, the Tommy boy line, like, well, I could give you a real good look at a T-bone steak. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh my goodness! Would you rather classic. take his word for it? <laughs> <laughs> no, I wouldn't say that. Though. How'd you find me? Okay, so I'm doing yeah. it. I'm literally I'm drinking my own, or I'm I'm implementing my own strategies yeah. here, and that's how you found me. So that's how you know it's going to work. Exactly, and so that was proof. Where mm-hmm. I, when, once I started doing, that, I was like, look, you don't have to listen to me. Just look at what I've done. Like you found me through Google. Obviously, I know how to do that. Hmm. I don't know if I ever had like a white light moment about this, but I, I think another one actually was um, Ramit Sethi recommended a book. It was like one of his mentors or something. And in the book, I can't remember what it's called. It's in my bookshelf over there. I can find it in the show notes. Uh, there was a chapter all about risk and the idea that the person who is buying is taking all of the risk. And so like, however you can get rid of as much risk as possible, you'll open up your conversions. And so that's why like everything I do as a 30 day money back guarantee, you know, it's just like no risk. There's no risk. There's no risk. And so I remember hearing that as well and thinking about selling a service in the same way that you would sell a digital product through like these, these, these automations where like, what can I do to take as much risk out of it as possible? So I don't know. Like I said, I, I never had like a, like an aha moment from it. It's just, sort of came together over the culmination of like experimenting with a bunch of these things. Cause how would you, how could you not call? Like seriously, when I read this automation, sometimes I'm just like, who wouldn't send an appointment with me? Like, this is why it'll work. This is what we've already done. This is how many phone calls we generated. This is what people are saying about us. Yeah. (laughs) It's pretty straightforward. (laughs) What I liked about this breakdown specifically was that I think this trust proof combo would work pretty much anywhere too. It's just email marketing is a great example. 
But like if you're building a social media strategy, I think there's something that could be done with this there. So like, you know, we talk a lot about Twitter threads in this show. Twitter threads are great for building trust, yeah. uh, showing that you know what you're talking about. I don't know that I've ever seen I guess I do see people from time to time use them to build to show proof. And actually I don't think a lot of people are really good at that, but it would be a great way to stand out, like to take those case studies that people are currently putting on their websites or in their email and, and use the same framework there. I just I like how reductive this is. It's very like very simple. You can remember this. It reminds me of Sahil's strategy too. What he does for Twitter is he uses um I don't want to put words in his mouth, but basically there's like two different types of stories that he'll share. One is like authority or trust, I guess is what you classify as it classify mm. it as here, where he'll teach you something about finance. You know, this was back in the early days when he was pretty much exclusively focused on finance. And those are great, but I think a lot of people will tune out if they're just constantly being taught. And so the second side of the coin was always stories. And it would be like incredible stories from the history of finance, like crazy scams that had been pulled off or Mm. yeah, market changes, stuff like that. So that ability to take something like present then flip the coin, present the other side, present, present, flip, flip. I think there's a lot of power to that. And I like how simple this was. So that's trust and proof. You're sending these emails. And then at the bottom of every single email, there's a link where people can go through to your Calendly page. Total power move, linking off to a Calendly page. Well, I want to talk about this thing for a second, though. <laughs> I really do. Wait, the whole Calendly power trip thing or, or this? Wait. No, this, this strategy. Like, If you're just starting out, don't do this. If you're just starting out, put the phone number at the top of your website and talk to as many freaking people as you can. And like, this was why I was having a really, really hard time with this article because there's so much stuff that I wanted to say, you Hmm. know, and like, even within the departments that we're going to talk about, there's like automations that we put together. And so I was, I was struggling with it, man. I am in a very fortunate position where we have earned the privilege to protect our time as like ruthlessly as possible. And so we'll go through it. Ethan, I'll talk through it. Like this is another qualifying measure so that I only talk to people who are serious about, you know, spending real money with us. But if you're just starting off, put phone numbers all over your website and like point red arrows to them and be like, I'll talk to you about your dog. I'll help you (laughs) order a pizza. Like I don't care. Talk to as many people as you can. I just wanted to make sure I, I put that out there. That's a great tip. Yeah, I uh, I hadn't thought about that. that. That's a good tip. It reminds me too of the uh, breakdown on different landing pages that we did that one time where the guy's got mm. this one copywriter who's got this page with a slider that talks about, he's like, uh, do you want the hard sell or the soft sell? And he was so drag good. It, what was that guy's name? I Well, that's the crazy part. For the life of me, I can't remember it, but I remember his website and I could yeah. find his website if I wanted to. But yeah, you go all the way up to the hard sell and it's flashing phone number and explosions and stuff <laughs> yeah, like that yeah. do that i guess if you're just starting out but at this point with the calendly sign up you do include a lot of information that people ask for and yeah. people can check out the the website if they want some of the details on this but it's not just like name email pick a date it's also like what's your monthly marketing budget what services are you looking for mm-hmm. and again this ties into the effort to qualify people so at this point in their relationship with you they found you online They've taken the time to download one of the PDFs. They've started receiving emails and clicked through on the email 
mm-hmm. to the Calendly link, then they filled out the Calendly. So these are pretty well qualified leads at this point. And then that's when they get a chance to meet um, with you, talk through whatever they're doing and potentially move forward as a client or not. Okay, so that's the first section. That's that's your inbound. That's how you're getting your leads. That's sales and marketing. Sales and marketing. And we could do a whole episode on every single one of those steps. We could do a whole episode just on how you handle that phone call. So people let us know if you want to hear those. But for now, we're going to keep trucking through this because the next step is just as crucial. Account onboarding. Yeah. And this is the handoff. And what I really liked about this, so just to give people the high level overview, your business is set up in such a way that once you make the sale, you basically are filling out kind of like a project brief, like a form. And as soon as you fill that out, you could tell me if you were exaggerating here or not, but it sounds like once you hit submit on that, you're done. You don't actually focus on a project again unless it goes into like, you know, DEFCON 1 and there's a big problem, right? That's cool. I don't know a lot of founders who can just make a sale and then walk away from a project. Maybe not, but you do know. So this is why I think agencies are so cool and so underappreciated because it's only the fact that you're dealing with clients that millennials don't like them, right? Because like millennials and Gen Cs, we're we're too cool to do service business. Like we're all about SaaS and scale and leverage. Mm. But it doesn't matter what kind of business you're dealing with. Even if you're dealing a SaaS business, there is always going to be some kind of handoff between like awareness to relationship. Mm -hmm. And it's always, 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 always this handoff where problems happen. So I grew up doing carpentry. One of the most important lessons I ever learned in my life was Mike Thornton. He was this big, giant carpenter. had like huge bare hands, wore a flannel shirt every day. And he told me that the weakest point of any structure is in the joint. And I just, I never, ever forgot that. And so Hmm. anytime I was putting these processes together, I would draw quite literally on, on the board behind me, like, where are the joints? Where are the connection points? Like, what are the nails that could snap if a storm comes through? And the biggest joint in any company, whether it's an agency or an accounting firm or a newsletter company or a SaaS company that's handing off people to to customer service, the biggest joint is always going to be the relationship between like awareness into relationship. And so you can't fuck that part up. And that's why it's so boring and it's so tedious and like, oh, who wants to talk about onboarding? I want to do sales. You know, like I want to 10x and shoot to the moon. But you can shoot to the moon all you want. And if all of your customers get stuck, they bottleneck in onboarding in whatever kind of business you have, you're going to have huge, huge, huge problems. And they're terrible problems to solve because everybody's mad at you. <laughs> so like, I really, really love this section, even though most people will most people's eyes will like glaze over it here. Yeah. Well, that's such an interesting way of putting it too with the carpentry, which by the way, is not in the article. That's a great extra little bonus for everybody listening. But it sounds like there's a lot of stories there too. I mean, this isn't something that you come out of like, you know, entrepreneur kindergarten knowing. So how did you, how did you kind of like, how did you learn that this is one of the most important joints in the business? And what was the, what did it look like? When you first designed this process, like what was that, what was that experience like? Well, I learned it through just like endless, endless bottlenecks of onboarding Mm -hmm. continuously. 
I mean, geez, right here. We love talking about business ideas. I, I think um, uh, Kay, Kay, he is is doing something like this. His isn't quite an onboarding consulting agency. His is like a, a company post-pandemic consulting agency where he, he does a lot of this stuff. He puts documentation together. Mm-hmm. But the pain that you feel from a client who you've spent months, sometimes years trying to close and that client getting off to like such a bad start because every time they reached out to you, you didn't have their website logins or like you didn't have their credit card and like you sent an invoice to the wrong email. And the pain that you feel when you lose deals from just stupid shit like that, not being mm-hmm. tight and not being clean. I mean, it's awful. It's just, it's the absolute worst as like a salesperson and an entrepreneur. So What's I don't interesting even know about how many. That- just dozens. What's interesting about that to me is that that's there is a solution to that. And what it is, is that as you're operating, you kind of feel this pain point, like something new comes up, it's a problem, you end up solving it. And then there's an option right there. You're at kind of at this fork in the road where you can put your head back down and keep working or pause for a second and like, think about your system and think and like ask yourself, why did this happen? And how can I avoid this mm-hmm. happening again? And that's, that's that split between working in your business and working on your business. So can you mm-hmm. tell me a little bit about how you structure time to, uh, to make those refinements as the leader? Like how often are you working on these processes? And when something new comes up like that, like say a new, you know, stressor, that forces a client either away or just creates um, static with a client. What does the actual process look like for you analyzing that as the leader? Yeah, that's a really great question. And this was a hard lesson for me to learn. And I think this is a valuable lesson for anybody trying to figure this out for themselves too. In the past, it was everything stops until we fix this. And maybe that was the right way to do it. Maybe it was the wrong way to do it. I'm really not sure. You know, that was just my obsessive personality kind of saying like, everybody stop all hands on board until we figure this out. Now, and this is probably maturity and just time of knowing that the world's not going to fall apart if somebody's mad at me, you know, but now it's very much under the Stephen Covey urgency importance mate matrix and it's like even if something is like really really wrong sometimes we'll just straight up ignore it because we know that we're taking our eye off of section two which is like important not urgent and spending time on uh section three which is urgent and important it's easy to say you know it's a little bit more difficult to do when a client might be emailing you and like they're really really pissed off and stuff like that and you know you you play it by ear I'll have one of the account services reps just try to hold their hand, try to save the deal, do the best we can. Like no matter what, personally, like it's it's really important to us as a company that we treat people right. Mm-hmm. And if someone's not satisfied, they're never going to get burned or anything like that. Like we'll never just ignore a problem and be like, I don't got time to deal with that. That's not what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying is every second that you take your eye off of downfield is like a second that you're not progressing. So in in today's Stasi, with our culture being what it is, I, I, I got to say, we don't spend a whole lot of time 
wiping slates clean and fixing things. Rather, it's just a continuous like, okay, what's the next step to get to this? What's the next step to get closer? What's the next step to get closer? And then I think tactically, what's important, and this is what I learned through the e-myth, which I've talked about like a million times, is like any time that you do this stuff, you write it down. Mm-hmm. And then you have a meeting on Monday and everybody says like, crystal clear like we all know how this works now right like i'm saying it once if you have questions we got it say it over and over again we'll sit here as long as we need to figure it out but as soon as this meeting is over this is it so like crystal crystal clarity that's how we do it now and i I think that's the best way we've ever done it truthfully that's really interesting uh we'll be sure to link off to a version of that uh copy matrix or some people might know it as like the eisenhower matrix yeah for anybody who hasn't seen that yet but i was reading about that recently so you know the boron letters gary halpert's copywriting letters no they're sort of like they're one of these resources that i think a lot of copywriters these days point to as really good training for copywriting so this guy gary halbert or halpern i don't i don't quite have his last name but he was a he was like a, a direct sales copywriter kind of guy very successful very good at his job and at one point i guess he got thrown in jail for like creating an ad that he didn't deliver on or something related to that. And so, yeah, it was kind of like a white collar type crime. And yeah, it's, (laughs) uh, there seems to be some contention over whether or not he was actually a criminal, but the way he dealt with it, he's like, is he's like, yeah, well, in my life, I've gotten away with some things that I probably should have gone to jail for. So he just kind of saw it as like cosmic karma and, uh, and just shut up and went to jail and, and dealt with it. But uh, while he was there, he wrote his son a series of letters, and the letters are all teaching him how to sell things by mail. They're called the Boron letters because that's the name of the prison he was in. Wow. And um, they're really interesting. A lot of copywriters will recommend that if you want to learn to write copy, you print them out and you write them by hand. And the reason for that is that the way they're they're structured like old sell by mail letters. So uh, even the length, publishing. yeah, but even the length, like when you turn the page is important. It's, it's like thoughtful and it's, it's designed in a certain way like that. So as I've been reading through them and his son ended up compiling them all online, which again, we'll link out to, but he writes several pages of commentary on them. And I don't know if his son took up the family business or not, but he wrote a, he wrote a bunch of additional stuff and the commentary is really interesting. So he's got this whole thing about the Eisenhower matrix and how Gary actually got it from Stephen Covey and by focusing on those things that are important, but not urgent. Every minute you spend there is time that you, you like basically prevent yourself from having to focus on something that is important and urgent, right? Because you're basically doing the important things before they become urgent, which exactly. Yeah. It's a really interesting thing. So we'll link off to that, but I think that's so important. What you said, especially in this day and age, when there's basically no end to the number of problems you can uh, experience. You know and that's so important to do it there because it was an exercise for me to deal with just anxiety, but not even anxiety, like letting people down, you know? And I think that's the urgent stuff that we get stuck in in life. It's like mm-hmm. someone's going to be mad at me. Someone's going to be disappointed in me. Like I am going to be responsible for some kind of catastrophe. And uh, the more you stay in important, but not urgent, like it takes time, but those things kind of just go away until mm-hmm. eventually you'll wake up, which is I'm I'm grateful to be at like this place in my life where it's not to say I don't have problems, but I can't think of the last time. Like at Stadzi, we have a motto. It's it's urgency is the enemy of progress. 
And so like wow. nothing is urgent. If anything is urgent, it's a huge problem. We're just like, what happened here? What happened here? We just, it's a hum, right? It's like an 87% hum. It's like driving on the highway at 70 miles an hour at like 2000 RPMs. And so huh. it's, it, 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 it was hard. It was like a real personal exercise for me over the last five years, but totally, totally worth it. Yeah, I like that a lot. I've never heard that saying before. It's a good one. But I've experienced the feeling that you're talking about. And, sure. and I, before Awful. we hit record, yeah, before we hit record, we were talking just a little bit. I've been going through this exercise recently because I, what I think happens is like you basically allow, you allow things to become urgent. And it's not that, it's not even that they like become urgent. There's always stuff that's screaming for your attention. Mm-hmm. And you have to develop the discipline to keep those things in their place. And like, you know, a, a simple, like a simple example of this is say, oh, so well said, I'm writing that down. Say that exercise is important to you. And like, you want to, you want, you want to build a lifestyle where you have two hour window at five days a week to exercise. If you work hard, you can pretty quickly get to the point where you'll have that window. What's a little, what's, what's harder than creating the window though is keeping it because mm-hmm. now all of a sudden you've got two hours of free time or like free quote, air quote, free time yep. somewhere in the middle of the day. And when these things start howling for your attention, that's the first thing that goes, right? It's like, oh, well, yeah, I'll, I'll skip the gym today and I'll just get back on it. But what you don't realize you're really doing is you're like letting go of the discipline of keeping those things in check. And what I've found, what typically gets me back on course is I actually have to start with the solution state before I can get the work into the shape that it's supposed yes. to be. And so I have to start by forcing you myself. just act as if. Yes. And, and and it's always difficult in that moment because you're like, I really don't have the time to to step away from this now. But I've just found over the years, the time never comes if you don't start with stepping away. And what ends up happening is very quickly because you're forcing yourself into like shorter and shorter time windows of handling work. Like you said, those things, they start to disappear. You'll, you'll handle problems faster. You stay on top of stuff. You have to be a little bit more disciplined in your system for how you plan your days and stuff. But it always starts with the solution state. And I found that to be true with client work too. Like when I first started, so I used to do like web design, web development, and I was just a one man shop, but I'd take on like clients here and there. And in the beginning, I didn't know how to set prices. I didn't know how to charge. I didn't really even know how to build websites. So I was kind of getting like I was learning on the job. <laughs> I know the and, feeling. <laughs> but there's always this thing that that I think a lot of people with client services go through is this they'll they say like, Ugh, like I have one or two really terrible clients right now, but I need to keep them because I, I can't afford to get rid of them. And when I can't afford to get rid of them, like then I'm gonna start being more picky about the clients that I choose. Mm. And it was the same deal there. I ha- you had to start by actually walking away from the clients mm. and just hanging out over a cliff and being like, oh my God, I don't know if uh, I'm going to make enough money next month. And then inevitably what ends up happening is because you have forced yourself into this position where you are demanding more of yourself and of the people that you interact with, you know, I found that very often it, it kind of pans out and then, and then it snowballs, Right. It's only once you attract these things into your life that they, that they start to really deliver on those increasing returns. So anyways, I love this. This oh, is, cool. um, did I just cut you off? No, uh, it, well, maybe, but I don't think you did it on purpose. I, I just said so cool because 
this isn't the first time where we've come across this kind of life design concept that translates well into our work. And onboarding is that shit that you don't have time for when you mm-hmm. get busy. Like onboarding is that time at the gym. But you said it so well, where if you just live in the solution where it sucks, but it, and it's, it's also kind of like the pay yourself first type thing. You know, mm-hmm. like you stop paying your plumbing bill for like three months and like it really, really sucks, but it doesn't matter because like you aren't the kind of person anymore that freaks out about your, your plumbing bill. You're the kind of person that pays yourself first. And so like be the kind of agency that does the onboarding no matter what's happening. And then eventually those things just won't be there anymore. Like be the kind of person that goes to the gym no matter what's happening because eventually those problems aren't going to be there anymore, you know? So this is why the onboarding thing, I get so excited about it because I think it's a little bit more than just like an onboarding doc. It it quite literally is just that it's like the the self-nurturing part of of the business. It's the thing you do to take care of yourself, you know? It's the thing you do to keep from from getting old and broken who's mm-hmm. continuously on board in, in the right way. So, uh, so yeah, I know it's like a little bit meta, but it's really important. And I think it's a, a good way to live your life. Huh? Yeah, that is pretty, that's a, that's a cool way of thinking about it. I'm going to have to chew on that a little more, but uh, I guess to keep rolling through this for people. So yeah. that's stage two, stage two. <laughs> of three. So we're coming up, we're coming up on the end here. The, and the, the third stage was interesting because what you basically laid out is you say, okay, you brought the traffic in, you converted them into clients. You've even gotten them started with their relationship with their account manager, which is super important. That's your weak joint. That's what's like you have to focus on in order to make sure that the business runs well. And then there's sort of this, there's these two teams that work behind the scenes and there's like a natural friction between them because they have different goals very different needs in far in terms of like how they communicate day to day and they rely on each other. And so what you did was you designed this, this system where that basically allows these two groups to work together. And I'm just going to summarize it very briefly. The two groups are strategy and project management. As I said, at the top of the episode, problem with strategy is that strategy team does all the research and they're deciding what the client actually needs in terms of like marketing Project management is sort of in charge of executing on that. So people listening can see the interrelationships between those two teams. That's crucial. Uh, but strategy needs to be heads down doing research, whereas project management, much more communication oriented. So what did you yeah. do? There's basically a document. There's a document that both these teams have access to. It's the client sheet and the strategy team fills everything in, in the client sheet including a next actions list or a list of to-dos. And then those to-dos are are basically, that's where project management gets their to-do list from. Mm -hmm. And they take those schedule and execute. And then each of those teams basically has Slack channels, but the Slack channels have different rules. So on the strategy side. Also another part that I wanted to write about, but I couldn't because I, I, quick side note, I truly, truly believe that Slack it can be like a business killer. And mm-hmm. we have like rules about Slack. And it's not to micromanage, it's about freedom. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you guys all have the freedom to live your lives in the way you want to. So if we all act with a certain etiquette, then we won't be like interrupting everybody's mental and emotional and like freedom of time. And so that was another thing I really wanted to write about. But Yeah, I, wait, take I, me I deeper on that, man. What are some of the what are some of the the 
keystone rules that keep Stodzy Slack running smoothly? Uh, yeah, one of them is only hit enter once. You know how on Slack it's so easy to be like, put it at ding, put it at bling, and just like sentences and hit enter. No, no, no. You got something to say? Think about it. Say it perfectly or write it, I should say, and then hit enter one time. Um, another rule is that the channels are for departments and we don't have a random channel because random channels are just, just awful. We do have a general channel, but that's more so for company announcements, like an HR type thing. And on Fridays, we have like a little, uh, ritual of sharing like old things about ourselves. So like I used to be in a band, you know, and then like every once in a while you're like, Hey, you guys might not know this about me, but I played bass for like eight years in this band and we toured the East Coast and like, here's one of our songs. And then someone else is like, no shit, I used to play banjo. Here's one of my songs. And so like every Friday we have this thing where we just share like really random stuff with each other. And that's fun. I have a whole onboarding or excuse me, like a a whole uh, process doc about Slack and how it works, especially with threads. Because like, you know, sometimes a message is appropriate. Sometimes a thread is appropriate because if, if in Slack, the UX, if you answer to somebody as a reply in a thread, then like only they get the notification as opposed to everybody else, Mm -hmm. um, as opposed to everybody in the channel. So I, we went through it, man, but it's the same thing. It's not micromanaging. It's, it's freedom. Like you're giving people freedom to step away from Slack and do their job. Yeah, I like that a lot. And then it, what I've found, so some companies, like I used to work for this company called TopTal, which had very well-established Slack etiquette. Cool. And some of the rules that really stood out to me there, no threads, no threads. None at all? None at all. And the, yeah. the reason for that is it makes it easy to drop into a channel and catch up on everything that's been and said. And see everything. Yeah. Sure. And the other was no spelling errors. In fact, we literally had... Yeah, it's kind of like that broken window theory. So exactly. if you if you kind of set a standard that everyone is expected to, similar to the like think about your point and press enter once, it's like mm-hmm. you're expected, if you're going to make a message, you're expected to think through it, write it out clearly, write out correctly. And we don't tolerate misspellings because misspellings are like an oversight in the execution of you sharing your message. And exactly. that probably sounds nitpicky on the surface, but what it led to was like it's a not. culture... Yeah, it, yeah, exactly. It was, I think it lifted other things up. And, you know, TopTel certainly has had plenty of its own culture problems. But one thing that was like very kind of refreshing, it, it was, it was nice. You, you started to notice it after a while. And you certainly notice it when you leave and go somewhere else that is a little bit like they play it more fast and loose on Slack. Uh, there's really something to the, the, what you demand or like what you, the standards you hold people to in terms of communication. Huddles too. I actually think Slack's uh, the upgrade to have huddles. I, I love them. They're so brilliant. It's so much easier to click huddle than it is to get on a Zoom meeting real quick. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I uh, it's definitely an interesting tool, and I, I think it's cool you guys have like a series of rules around it. Did you say you have a, you have some kind of strategy doc that you might share related to how you guys think through this, or you just I can just... share that. Yeah. All right. Cool. I think I can, there's nothing pertinent on that. I can share that. All right. Well, we'll, we'll link that up in the, in the show notes. But the interesting thing here again was that basically these two teams, they rely on each other. They cannot communicate the same exact way without driving everybody nuts on both sides. And so you had to basically create this system that allowed them to like work together without driving everybody crazy. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was really cool. I hadn't 
thought through some of these processes before in this way. Uh, and so I definitely encourage people to check out the full post if they're interested in more. I think there's some of these things that you get into more detail in, but that's the high level stuff for sure here. Uh, you got your automations for sales and marketing, automations for onboarding, and then it is, it is automations on the strategy side because this, the, like this document sort of moves its way through the system, the client sheet. Yes. Um, and but- it's also automations on, well, Actually, one level above this as well. This is another reason why I think I I wanted to write this in a way that it applied to everybody. Like every business has the generate business, you know, the generate attention, and then the handoff between attention to relationship, even if your relationship is purely digital, like even if it's QuickBooks, you know, do you have guides on it? Do you have ways to use it? Do you have a way to communicate? This is how you get. This is how we work because you need that. And then there's the getting shit done team. <laughs> like there's always those three things. There's the attention team, the communication team, and then the getting shit done team. And so <laughs> like the getting shit done team has to be autonomous from the sales and marketing team because if they depend on each other, then there's going to be breaks there. And same thing with account services. Like account services can't rely on the getting shit done team. Because there's going to be a time where they need an answer to something right now because the client's on the phone. And, you know, what a nightmare that would be. It'd be humiliating for them to be on the phone with a client. Be like, you know what? I can't get the answer to your question right now because this person isn't available. Like, no. So, like, these processes work well for us. But the point of writing this is to make, is to generate awareness that your business is going to have these same things. It's not going to look exactly the same way, but it's going to have these same things. So the the relationship between the getting shit done team at Stadzi is strategy and project management. Strategy likes to hang out in the dark. They like to have their hoodie up. They like to have their headphones up and they need to think. It's kind of like developers, right? Like don't interrupt developers. They're working. Don't bother them. <laughs> That's why they're so grumpy all the time. And then... That work needs to somehow get communicated to the project management team in a way that quite literally makes it so they never have to talk to each other. Like they would never have to see each other if they didn't, if we weren't friends. Like we could theoretically never have to talk to each other. And then one of the things that I'm like really, really proud of truly as, as like an operator is figuring out this system on Todoist because I think Todoist is such a sleeper software. Monday.com and Asana and all the CRMs, they get, they get everything. Todoist is so much better than all of them because it is just so freaking simple. And what makes it great is that you can have main tasks and subtasks. And so if the project manager, her name's Rachel, if she assigns a main task, that's just the whole task. But then you can assign subtasks that make it so that the workflow, the job, whatever it is, can be checked off step by step, which creates accountability for the person who does it. You know, so let's say we post an article, Rachel creates the main task. Well, then the subtask is, Hey, writer, write this article. They check off their subtask is complete and notifies the editor. Then the subtask is editor, edit this article. They check it off as complete and notifies the optimization team. Optimization SEOs it perfectly complete. And then it pings the main task to Rachel so she can look over everything. And then she's got the official sign off. 
So like the reason wow. why this is so important is because it's efficiency and it's accountability. You do what you got to do in the fastest way possible, in the best way possible, using the least amount of resources possible. And accountability is like, who fucked up? Because if you don't have that, then you don't actually have a team. You kind of just have like people that are all looking out for themselves. And, uh, and yeah, so like, man, this, this, this article was like a, an emotional process for me. Like I've been thinking about these things for years and realizing that like I might have actually put something together that has all these little puzzle pieces that I've been trying to figure out for the last like five to six years. It was, uh, it was really cool. I feel Dude, good this about is it. like a, this is like a $10,000 plus course. I don't know why you, I mean, I know why you published it for free, but one of my last questions was going to be, when are you, <laughs> right. ser- I'm serious. I mean, you know how many agency owners are out there that would be interested in kind of figuring out how to systematize their company in, in this way? When's that coming? Well, I made it. Nobody buys it, but, uh, Oh, that's agency clarity. Yeah, exactly. That's, uh, this is what's in agency clarity. More, way more. Audience clarity. I get into zaps. I get into triggers and automation so that like, so that people get notified about things being done without ever having to talk to each other. Like, it's fun, man. Nobody on my team needs to talk to each other and they're all over the world. And I just think that is like so rad. I don't know why. I just got obsessed with like this little, this cool little machine that can work on its own. That's awesome. Yeah, well, as somebody who is sort of certainly a kindred spirit with developer slash strategist slash person who would prefer not to be slacked all day long, I definitely yeah. respect the system. I thought this was a cool piece, man. And I think it's it's super clear. It's super actionable. I think people can check it out. There's a lot of cool examples in here of Thank like you. emails, email flow structures. So I hope people check it out. We'll link up to some of these other resources as well in the uh, in the show notes. And like Tim said at the top of the episode, go check out the website. In fact, you know what we'll have to do is we'll, you know we'll have to put something cool over on the website at some point to to drop it below. Yeah, you're, you're right. I have some courses that I have like in my my little back pocket that I've created over the last year or two. I wonder if we should give one of those away for free to give it to people. Copybloggerpod.com. By the time this publishes, it's six ten. This will publish what on Wednesday. So this will publish on the 15th. If you listen to this and it's the 15th, the 16th, go to copybloggerpod.com and we'll have something to give away. Something cool. Yeah, there'll be something (laughs) cool over there. No pressure. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you.